everybody, before we go into today's podcast, I have some exciting news. Uh, VaynerMedia and VaynerX, which holds purewow.com, 1.37 p.m., the Sasha Group, um, on and on and on, is hiring pretty aggressively for a creator role. That is a copywriter. That means you have good ideas. You can come up with ideas, and then you can also have the English skills to write the copy on the Facebook or Twitter or YouTube post. Uh, Team Gary's hiring. VaynerMedia's hiring. We're just hiring. And so uh, please go to garyvee.com slash creator. That's garyvee.com slash creator. Uh, let me see if I can spell here. C-R-E-A-T-O-R. Please go uh, check that out. I, I assume that there's a, a form there that helps you show a little bit of your work and kind of get us on third base. I'm starting to contemplate uh, maybe even some remote work as well. So uh, please uh, please go fill out a form if you're interested in joining the Vayner family. We are looking for designers like crazy, like designers like crazy, meaning you can design for TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Uh, we're looking for animators. If you're good at that cartoon shit, we're looking for you. Uh, we are definitely, definitely looking for people that obsess over the idea of taking a keynote of mine or a long-form commercial and creating 72 video assets out of it, uh, the kind of stuff you see consistently from us on uh, Instagram. So if you've got hunger, uh, humility, uh, and want to enter one of the best marketing machines of all time, please go to garyde.com slash creator, uh, designers and and writers. I'm also looking for a writer or two while I'm at it. I don't know if that's there, but I'm definitely looking for somebody to join to my team to help Raghav write LinkedIn articles and blog posts. So if you're really into the idea of like watching unlimited Gary content and turning it into written articles, I think it's a cool job. Uh, and it's definitely been a launching pad for interesting careers inside our world. So anyway, great time at Vayner for uh, entry level creators. That is really what we're looking for. Class of 2020. So many of you, let's call it what it is, got fucked. Job offers pulled, internships pulled, um, entry-level creator life at VaynerMedia. Hit us up, garyvee.com slash creator. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. <laughs> I don't know what you mean, Dustin, but this is uh, a new episode of uh, Coffee and Commerce, which uh, I'm really excited here with my partner in crime, uh, Zubin, and we have a wonderful guest. Zubin, please say hello and intro our tremendous, tremendous guest. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Uh, great to have Mona Katan here, the global president of Huda Beauty. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. I'm so happy to be here with you guys. <laughs> so, Mona, why don't you tell everybody, uh, <laughs> why don't we spend the first five minutes creating the context of this uh of this show of what uh your journey how we how we got here yeah i mean so i had a really interesting journey i i studied finance in university and when i first graduated i kind of took your kind of typical middle eastern career path of like fulfilling your parents dreams of having you know a, a really stable career so i went into banking i got an investment banking job and um you know i just found myself feeling very unfulfilled and um, I really felt like I was always longing for more. And, you know, I only gave it about a year and a year into it. I was just like, you know what? I spoke to my dad. I was like, look, I really know that you want me to be 
you know, doing something that's very stable and assured um, because my father had very humble beginnings. And for him, like seeing his children have like a very stable career path where he was guaranteed, you know, the very basics was very important to him. So when I went to him and I was just telling him like, you know what, dad, I just can't do this anymore. I don't feel like this is for me. I need to try to do something of my own. Um, I think I terrified him <laughs> and, um, and it was very challenging for my parents to accept. Um, but I knew ultimately it was something that I really needed to do. I always struggled feeling like I was a part of an organization where I wasn't able to have a, a big impact and I wasn't able to act on creative ideas that I wanted to, to create or, um, any sort of other ideas that I wanted to have. I just felt like there was so much bureaucracy, which I hated and I still, try to make sure that we don't have that in our organization because for me it's just something that I feel is really damaging <laughs> to someone's dreams and passion and and their enthusiasm so I just I got really sick of the corporate world I quit my job um, I was only about 24 years old and I actually had no plan at all I didn't know what I was going to do I was just um I was just, you know, figuring things out one step at a time. Uh, a friend of mine was like, let's start a PR agency together. So we created an agency and I did that for about two, three years. And I was basically just self-employed trying to cover my what, bill. What was, what was the biggest thing you think you learned pro about yourself and things that you had to work on by having that first chapter? Um, I think the pro, like the positive part of myself that I learned was I'm definitely like a very optimistic person, throw anything towards me, I can solve problems, I'll never give up, like, I will go to the end of the world to find a solution and actually like many solutions to one problem. So I, I never give up. Um, I think my biggest um, challenge that I had in that stage of my life in my 20s was really the ability to say no. Mm. Um, know when to um, raise my standards to challenge people and be really direct with people. I had a I had an issue kind of being like, okay, well, this is how much you're going to pay me for this. And I just had a challenge being super direct. Um, asking. asking. The, the conversation of money was a challenge. Yeah. The conversation of raising your prices once you got comfortable with price point was a challenge. It was a big challenge. And I almost felt guilty asking for people to pay me for their services. And it was just a really... Um, weird stage of my life. And I think I've through therapy, I've understood it more. It's just like a weird thing that I feel like I've always associated money with guilt. Like I felt bad spending money. I felt bad asking for money. Um, so I didn't really know my worth, um, which is definitely something that I look back and I'm like, Oh, if I only knew that sooner, um, you know, I would have been in a very different stage, but again, I'm so happy things worked out the way they were. Um, so that was um, an early stage of my career was just being when, uh, being an entrepreneur was being self-employed, um, being a consultant. I did PR for about three years. And then I ventured into my own beauty salon, um, which definitely taught me a lot. It was a dream at the time. I, I'm obsessed with beauty. I'm obsessed with pampering. I'm obsessed with making people feel good about themselves. I, I used to love seeing people come in and leave and just to feel transformed. I loved giving women that confidence and men. Um, but it was a ladies only salon, but I love seeing people feel like very confident and that transformation really, really, um, it, it invigorated me and it made me just over the moon. Um, so then my sister, my sisterhood and I are super close who you met. Um, she was a makeup artist at the time. And then I remember just thinking about it one day cause I'd see her so passionate and she was doing, doing so many great things with, um, just her makeup artistry. And I remember a lot of my friends were actually her clients and they'd always come to me and they'd be like, 
well, I really want to get your sister's lashes. Like, where do you sell them? And I kept having to tell them, like, sorry, we don't sell them. These are ones that she creates by hand. She's cutting them up. She's creating lashes herself. And I kept remembering that question over and over again. Like, I'm like, why do I always get this question about her lashes? And I was like, why can't we create them? It can't be that hard. So it was like kind of an epiphany. And I was like, let's create a brand together. And I asked her if she'd be interested. And she's like, absolutely. If you think we can make it happen. And I was like, we can make anything happen. You know, if we have a vision, we, we, we can make it happen. But I just want to know that you are into this because this is really for you. Um, and she was obsessed with the idea. And then we just, you know, started Googling every lash manufacturer in the world. We started getting samples. Um, and before you know it, I mean, obviously it took a lot of sweat, blood and tears. We found the right manufacturer and we begged Sephora for over a year to take us, um, on. And, uh, after like a year of constant persistence, they finally, you know, had the confidence to launch a brand in Dubai. And that was about, yeah, that was 2013. And, you know, it's seven years later. Now we're, um, and all Sephora is in the U.S. We're in all over Europe, um, Asia Pacific, Middle East, North Africa. Um, you know, we've got a huge presence, you know, so it's, it's pretty magical how things started. Um, now we have three global offices. We have an office in Dubai, an office in the UK. We have an office in LA. Um, and yeah, we're created. We have three brands now. We have Huda Beauty, which is the color cosmetics brand. We have uh, Kayali, which is the fragrance brand. And we also have Wishful, which is a skincare brand. Um, and we have over 250 awesome employees. I love that. <laughs> Zubin, Sorry, any I, questions? I no, that, no, that's that's, that's, exactly, that's what everybody needed that's listening. So we need that. Yeah, thanks, Mona. Um, so, you know, we kind of talk about the past in passing, essentially, like uh, investment banking, PR, et cetera. How much of that helped you? and helped you initially and helps you now as you run this global organization? Yeah. I mean, I think it was every single kind of experiment that I had. I mean, I was a serial entrepreneur, so I dabbled into so many different things. And I think every single bit of experience I had helped because initially it was just Huda, myself, um, my sister Alia. For the first couple of years, it was just three of us. And then we finally had enough money to hire a PA but essentially, I'm sorry to interrupt because I think this will help a lot of people. And, and to be yeah. frank, I'm always 100% focused on who's watching and listening. Um, what was the biggest challenge in working with family in that environment? Like, you know, like I think so many people, I get asked a lot because I worked with my dad and I worked with my brother and, and a lot of people really struggle with this. Yeah. Um, what are, give me like three to four hot takes on things that you learned and continue to learn in family yeah. life because now you're adding another sister. So I'm like, okay, you, you, you really lived it. What, uh, yeah. what, what was the hardest and what was, what's something you're, you're collectively so much better at today than you were years yeah. ago? Well, when we first started, um, I used to struggle a lot with my sister Huda because we have like polar opposite personalities. Um, and I, I would just always disagree with her we're really close in age about <laughs> 18 months apart. So like if she'd say, you know, the sky was blue, I'd be like, it's, it's off blue or whatever. Like we'd always like argue with each other and we'd waste a lot of time just kind of like deciding who was right. Um, and I think a lot of it had to do with ego and trying to prove who knows more or whatever. Um, but when I really started to appreciate the differences that we have, um, between herself and even my sister Alia and even um, Huda's husband, Chris, who joined us um, after a couple of years, when I really started to appreciate how they were different to me and um, try to see things from their point of view, 
it really gave me a lot of perspective and it gave all this perspective. And I think that we all made collectively better decisions because we were thinking from a very different perspective. So I think really like drop your ego, doesn't matter who's right. You all have to like work towards a vision. You know, you all want to succeed and make it something much larger than yourself. Like for us initially, I think when we first launched the brand, it was about solving a problem. There's no great lashes in the market. It was a challenge. It was exciting. But I think after three, four years, and I think really after we got our evaluation and we got our investors on board and we had the opportunity to sell the company for over a billion dollars. And after that stage, it became like when we declined the offer, you know, we were like, okay, this is so much more than the money. It's mm-hmm. now this is like about deep, meaningful, you know, issues we want to solve together about changing the world as much as we possibly can together how, about disrupting the industry and also creating an incredible company for people to have their dream jobs that we never had, you know? So, um, so yeah, I think just appreciating each other and learning from each other and having no ego and communicating better. I think I personally used to struggle a lot with communication. If I was upset, I'd be kind of passive aggressive. And um, now I'm not. <laughs> I'm like, now as soon as somebody makes me a little bit upset, I like make a note. So I make sure to go back to it later and I don't forget it or shove it under the rug and then explode on them later and like upset them. I think a lot of the things. Fantastic. That yeah, I think a lot of the things that I've learned is like really a lot to do with psychology. Like I think get a good it's all pe- yeah. <laughs> Interpersonal skills. I mean, running a business yeah. is about the people. A hundred percent. I mean, the reason yeah. I bought Zoom, the reason I bought Zubin's company over the other companies that I could have looked at was my belief in how he manages humans, yeah, and who and who he is as a human. It's everything. Zubin? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. Um, Mona, talk to us a little bit about um, your go-to-market strategy because you were, as you mentioned, like you begged Sephora to get in, you finally got in to Sephora in Dubai. Talk us through that path all the way through, basically having the online experience you have right now. And let's kind of yeah. talk a little bit about that and go down that alley of being like being an omni-channel brand, selling online, selling in retail. How did all that mm-hmm. happen and where are you now? So um, I think, again, like we're so lucky that things happened the way they did. We had a blog before we actually launched the brand. So Huda had HudaBeauty.com way before we even had the thought of creating a brand. So we had the audience already there. It was kind of like a dream come true for any sort of like business. Um, So we had an audience who was ready for the product that we were going to launch. um, And they were, they were watching closely and we started off very small. We launched, sorry, we launched in one door. We launched in Sephora Dubai mall, which I think was a great thing because we focused, we drove all the traffic. That's by the way, on the record, because I've been to that that Dubai mall, like (laughs) just for everybody around the world, that's (laughs) one big fucking door. You know, it was, it is one door, but it's like, it's like 800 doors in a lot of ways. Yes, it's huge. Um, by the way, so Zubin, we- I, I, I apologize, Mona. By the way, Zubin, everyone's completely freaking out in the comments that your volume's super low. So um, you fix that or they're going to continue to scorch you. There you Me? go. There we oh, go. No, not you, Mona. You're great. Go okay. ahead. Um, so, yeah, so we launched in Sephora Dubai Mall, one door. Um, you know, we drove all the traffic there. And I think in retrospect, that was a great strategy. Um, we built up crazy demand. We were constantly dealing with stock issues because we, of course, didn't know how to forecast. We had no idea what kind of demand there would be. Um, but that went on for about um, six months to a year. And then we expanded to all of the Middle East Sephora doors. Um, and then it was about another year and a half we launched in Harrods in the UK. 
So that was our first, you know, door out of the region. And we were continuously begging for Sephora US to take the brand. And it took a very, very long time. You know, initially they were like, okay, you're a lash brand out of the Middle East. Like, why do you think you're going to have a demand in the United States? But I really think it was the power of social media um, that they underestimated at the time, because I think that was still before the time of people seeing these explosive social media brands really take off. Um, and when we launched in the U.S., they were really shocked by the amount of demand that we had there. And, um, you know, in all honesty, we just kept growing our page and it was just a natural thing. Like the more we grew, the more we expanded, the more our audience and our community grew and we were able to go pretty much global. I mean, we're in all areas ex except Africa, certain parts of Africa and South America, but we have a very big global presence in such a short time in comparison to all the legacy brands and, you know, that had taken like basically decades to build themselves. And, so and I think it was really through the power of social and, media. And from that beginning um, that you had the hudabeauty.com blog, at what point did you start actually selling product online after being in Sephora? And, so and, how, and, and this is a very selfish question. And how did Huda think about navigating those early days? Was there any kind of blueprint or anything that kind of inspired some of her executions? Um, yeah, so we had the blog, we launched it in April 2010. And we launched the product in February 2013. So it was quite a few years. And we were going hard, Huda was going hard, she was blogging herself all on her own about three posts a day, on top of doing makeup, makeup every single day. Um, so she was really running the show almost on her own. I was helping from like a business strategy perspective and doing her PR and everything. Um, but when it came to really the the vision and just the the way the strategy to launch, I, I do have to say it's completely Huda's vision. You know, she is a visionary. She's an artist, um, and she's got a, a, a really incredible creative vision and also a great vision when it comes to leadership. So she always thought big from day one, you know, for her, it was always like, how do we go global? How do we make everybody in the world relate to our products? How do we serve everyone? Um, so it really did come from Huda. Um, I, I think she has the natural intuition for it, but we also love to read books. We love watching people like yourself. We love self-development and I've been obsessed with it since I was a teenager. So for me, it's something that I've always been um, inspired by people like yourself. So we were always pushing ourselves to grow. And I think we've learned from people who've done it before us, like, like yourself, Gary, you know, you're awesome. So, <laughs> well, but, but you know, what's so exciting about it. And when Hood and I were talking about how she read crush it and what she got from it, what's so <laughs> exciting for me now is to watch how many people, I mean, even in the comments right now, how many people are getting value out of it. It's just good and karma and sharing positive, practical, real things is what's so beautiful about the infrastructure we now live in, and 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 it's 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 what's really fascinating and what, Zoom and what I love about their execution, and it's harder to do this now because companies like yours, Zoom and ours together, VaynerCommerce, eliminates the friction of go to market in a way that wasn't in place when Mona and Huda were building their business. Definitely not when I was building mine. Like you, you actually almost had to. 10 years ago, build a blog and a Twitter account on YouTube for two years before you could even imagine, you know, there is no doubt in my mind that there's people that for six months winning on TikTok can go right into Vayner Commerce, create a product and do extremely well. It's just so different even already. And we're, we're both young in our careers and it's already a t totally different world. In a lot of ways, I wonder if, you know, Mona and Huda and I had the advantage of building a true community 
over time before we went, not that the new TikTok regime isn't, but we got to sit with it for a while and know what they wanted versus what I think you see a lot of now, which is six months, you're huge. Oh shit, I need to make money besides brand deals. Let me make a hoodie or let me slap my name on some shit. And you didn't have time to R&D it, research and develop it, live with it. And, and, and the product, I mean, it, it took me forever to launch Empathy. Right. You know, like, like I sat, like, in essence, from the first episode of one, it took me, you know, 13 years to launch a product. Wow. You know, I've had businesses, but a product. And so mm-hmm. I got to sit with it. And so I, I think, I wonder if you, do you agree with that, Mona? Do you think that the time of cultivating that community mixed with, you know, Huda's vision and your understanding of the products that you wanted to put out, that there was a lot of value in that patient's time? Absolutely. I completely agree with you. And I also think that, you know, we were working at a time where I think it was harder in some ways because we didn't have the crazy social media exposure. You know, there wasn't, there was no Instagram, there was no Snapchat, there was no TikTok around when we first started. But I think that the space was less crowded for these uberly passionate people who are pumping out lots of constant content. Um, so I think that the advantage was if you were authentic and if you were persistent and consistent, you'd grow your following bigger, faster, where now like you're competing so hard to be one of the many Instagrammers who have millions of followers or the many TikTokers who also have millions of followers. There's just so many people right now and everybody is capitalizing off their product because of success stories that they've seen and everybody wants to kind of jump on it quick. By and the way, not- break, breaking news. Um, India bans TikTok in its country. Wow. Wow. India banned 59 Chinese based. I'm just reading the headline, so I don't know if uh, I just read it right before I went on. I see it again. Like, pretty intense. Like, intense. it's going to be a very interesting decade with technology yeah. and platforms. <laughs> Zubin? Just, yeah, just one thing to lean back on uh, the community. I think that. To Gary's point, at the time that Gary was building his community, you were building your community. Obviously, those platforms didn't exist. But you were able to build the community you wanted, and you were able to create the content that you wanted to create. I think part of the challenge now is like people are creating content based on what they think people want, which is fine. But they really need to lean into what matters to them. And, and even those people on TikTok, Instagram, whatever it is, the ones that get genuine following that will leave the platform for them. Mm-hmm are because they do something that matters to them and that matters to kind of the people that, that, that are watching. So I think it's that gap of like, you do it on TikTok, you do it on Instagram, but getting that person to leave and join you on your own site is, is a big gap that exists. But again, like it goes back to the community that you built and the way you've been able to activate them, which still works today. It just takes a lot of effort. Yeah, absolutely. No, you're spot on. And I've just recently started my new YouTube channel And I'm trying to do things that I'm trying to take away what I think people want me to produce and just do what I really want to create. And it's challenging. Like a lot of the things that I'm creating that have nothing to do with beauty, um, you know, the engagement's low, but I'm like, I'm going to keep going because it's what I really want to talk about. Um, But you're absolutely right. I think we're always constantly like there's a background voice kind of telling you, okay, that's not going to perform well, that will. And you kind of second guess yourself. But I think the people who are creating incredible, you know, visionary content are people who are just doing what they want to do. Two things that I want to add to the show, Zubin, I apologize. I don't know how many questions you have for this format. Obviously, we're all improv all the time, and I have a little bit of a issue, so I'm going to have to jump a little early before our time's up here. 
are I, a ton of great questions coming from people that are watching live. Zubin, do you want at some point for Dustin to throw up questions in here? Uh, might be a good idea because I think yeah, that'd be great. A lot of people, yeah, awesome. All right, Mona's Dustin, maybe it. we'll do it. Mona, yeah, sure. some questions. Of course, Dustin. Uh, maybe at one thirty-five when I transition out, uh, you can go into some Q and A. I don't know if he's coming, but cool. fair enough. Oh, there he is. Yeah. I was. I, I just wanted Dustin. I just wanted the four corners. That, that was just. That was very selfish. Balance. I just wanted four people. Like, yeah. the, the balance is right. To me. Uh, hold up. Uh, excuse me, Mona. Before I bounce out of here, where do you see the biggest opportunity in attention to build brand awareness for your brand right now, from your perspective, one lady's point of view? Obviously, a very large size company compared to most of ours. Um, where do you see an opportunity right now? Which platform? which execution, whether it's shopper marketing, whether it's advertising, whether it's a country given the global scale. Yeah. Like if I said to you, hey, we have to bet, you know, if I was on the board, I was like, hey, we got to bet the farm on something right now. Where, you know, let's, uh, where do you, where do you want to put these couple of like targets? Where, what are you looking at? What are you seeing? Maybe that can bring some value. Well, that is definitely a tough question because from a platform perspective, I do think it's really challenging right now. Of course, we are investing in TikTok a lot as you are. You know, you're a big inspiration yep. for that. I know you're going hard on TikTok. Um, it's so much, it's so much, you know, somebody just asked, so now what if the U.S. bans TikTok? I'm like, then it's banned for everybody and we all move somewhere else. But all the people that took advantage of gaining awareness right. and community doesn't go away. They find them on, you know, Instagram or Twitter, things of that nature. So I think people forget how brand works. Like I don't care if Vine went away. I gained mm -hmm. a lot of awareness on that platform, which mm -hmm. came with me somewhere. And that's why that stuff matters. Because all of these platforms probably won't be the platforms in 15 years. We've seen that's that with Friendster and MySpace and mm -hmm. things of that nature. So, okay. Yeah. So TikTok so is yeah, I'd probably say from uh, for us, it's probably um, a territory's perspective. So I'd say China, Asia, um, South Korea, those are areas we're really focusing on right now. Um, I think that, you know, their economy is clearly doing really well. And I think there's a lot of room in that market to grow. Um, so that's a huge focus for us. But it's a different world. And they have different social media platforms that we're basically starting from scratch on. Um, so it's, it's definitely challenging. But I think there's a huge opportunity there. Hey, everybody who's listening to the podcast, we interrupt this on a mid-roll. Unlike everybody else who's trying to make a dollar on the mid-roll, I'm, I'm trying to surprise the fuck out of you. I'm going to use the mid-roll occasionally to do something fun as shit. So today's mid-roll contest is you have to use this hashtag on your Instagram. So take a screenshot right now on your phone or your desktop, post it in your Instagram main feed. Stories do not count. Use the hashtag Gary B, I love your mid-roll and tell me why you should win. And we're gonna pick one random person and you're gonna get 30 minutes with me on Skype to do business consulting, crazy value. And, and you're gonna be able to spend a day on Zoom with my team to learn how we roll to make your business better. And I'm gonna send you a crazy swag pack, hoodies, wine, shit from my shelf. You're gonna give me your address. So please check it out. Everybody get in right now, mid-roll surprises. Join today. All right, back to the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Mona, I want to ask you something. Um, so what, what we've seen, obviously, retail online. And everybody's saying retail needs to evolve. Retail needs to evolve and come closer to digital. They need to be experiential, so on and so forth. Um, and not much conversation about what digital needs to do to become more personal. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things that I found um, 
really cool on your site uh, were your one-to-one virtual consultations with your pro artists. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I think it really humanizes the brand and brings somebody much closer to that retail interaction that they kind of maybe long for. Well, to be honest, this was an amazing idea that came from our senior leadership team. And it was really initially only to help preserve any jobs that might need to be cut. So we're like, how can we make sure that everybody's still staying productive? And how how can we make sure that all the teams that normally work in store are still busy? So we just wanted to make sure that we didn't let go of any single people. And we still haven't to date since, you know, the corona, corona pandemic started. We haven't let go of anyone. So we wanted to re... Um, you know, resource them in a different way. So we decided to have these consultations online. And, um, you know, they, we definitely have a lot of learnings and I definitely took your feedback to the team. So thank you for that. I think that we weren't very direct in the whole process and like whether it was paid for. Um, but it's still something that we are trying to work on. There hasn't been a huge demand for it yet, but I think it's something that we're going to need to evolve and keep growing. And I think that all beauty brands are definitely going to need to jump onto this because I think, even after the pandemic kind of slows down and things settle and go back to normal, I think people are going to get comfortable just shopping from home and they're going to want to have that experience at home. Totally. And I think that what's remarkable about it, remarkable about it is what everybody kind of listening can take from it. Right. So this is something that anybody, even if you're one person starting a brand online, um, you can learn something from this. So what happens is you go to hudabeauty.com. And you can click this virtual consultation link and it basically gives you a list of individuals that you can book and you can book a 15 minute, a 30 minute, 60 minute, getting ready with an artist, lash application, whatever it is. And then you actually get access to that person for free, complimentary for that period of time. And they sit with you on some sort of Zoom interactive call and and walk you through it. And I think it's phenomenal because it's really taking service and what you expect in the best of retail, right? In the best of retail, you want to deal with somebody who's actually giving you value, teaching you something. So you're applying mm-hmm. that to digital. Again, if you're just one person, you make your calendar available, you block off how, how, many, how much time you have each day for this sort of thing, make it available on your site. Build that one-on-one interaction. I mean, I think it's, again, it's fantastic that a brand at your scale is doing it. And I think that anybody, again, even a single person who's running a business should be doing something like this. It's great. Thank you. Thank you so much. We're definitely working on improving it, um, but it was it was a phenomenal idea from our our team, and I think it's just great to make sure that we protect people's jobs as you know the the retail has slowed down so much. We just want to make sure they're busy and they're feeling productive, and also so they feel excited about what they're doing. If they're even if we were able to keep them just working from home, like it's very demotivating not to have that interaction. So it's been a great um, step for us, and we see that the team's also really happy to be used like that. Mona, what about what about audio? Before I bounce out, sorry, Zubin, you 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 have twenty five exactly minutes. Set them. Thank you. Exactly <laughs> thanks for the set, thank you for the setup. Uh, what uh what about audio? You know, uh, pre roll podcast, original podcasts, Alexa skills. What if anything um, are you seeing with that? Um, in the beauty space, it's it there isn't that much um, audio only podcast. I think just because it's such a visual topic. Um, but I definitely think there's space for that. Um, there's a few great podcasts that I listen to, uh, Fat Mascara. I'm not sure if you guys have heard of it, um, but it's great. But I definitely think it's um, unwalked territory. And I think that it's it's interesting. Could and I have talked about doing a podcast together. Um, and I'd love to. I don't know if it would necessarily be on beauty particularly. I'd like to explore other topics. But 
it's not very popular in the beauty space. I think it's just a super visual community and, you know, all the platforms that are attractive to beauty are, are pretty visual. It's Instagram is probably the number one performing platform for beauty still. It's buy now, see now. See now, buy now. <laughs> what, what about, what about the, uh, how much do you think about customizable landing pages at scale from content where um, the conversion may be greater because of the context of the landing page to, you know, the ad that's come in, kind of the dynamic web kind of thoughts. Any any thoughts about that? Is it something of a focus? Just curious. Yeah, we are testing um, different experiences for different users to see if there are any differences. But to be super honest, um, I'm just going to be very transparent. We never really had our e-commerce in the forefront until recently, um, only because we really didn't have an, an, a team until recently. It's only been about two, almost almost two years since we've had a proper e-com team. Um, so we're really building it up now. And, you know, we were just so busy just keeping the business together Makes that sense. it wasn't a priority. But now, um, you know, post pandemic, it's really become a huge priority for us because we realized like you can't always rely on retailers and you really do want to try to own that customer relationship. So it's become very, very important. And um, we're working on making it a more um, customized experience. Yeah. Love it. Um, I, uh, I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. I've just been reading so many of the comments. I think there's so much good stuff coming. It's great to see you again. Zubin, take Thank it away. You. Thanks for having Thank me. Everybody keep watching. Thank you so much. Thank you, Gary. See you, Gary. Okay, let's do this, Mona. Uh, Dustin, feel yeah. free to drop in questions, and then we will share Mona's wisdom with everyone. You're so sweet. <laughs> Mona, what are you uh, – what is your uh, – talk about your YouTube a little bit while the questions come in and your podcast oh, and whatnot. Sure. Yeah, so I just started my YouTube channel um, in February, and it's been something that I think I've been putting off for a very long time, only because I wasn't sure of the direction I wanted to take it into. And I was like, I'm not a makeup artist. I'm not a beauty guru. I like business, and I do love beauty, but I'm not like a professional. So I didn't feel comfortable putting myself in that box. And then um, I'm also like a perfume lover. I'm a perfume addict, and I've you know, worked on creating the brand, the fragrance brand we have. But I didn't feel good putting myself in that box either. So I kept kind of pushing myself around and I was like, I don't want to fit into a box. And then I was like, you know what, why am I trying to put myself in a box when I tell everybody else not to? And I was like, let me just create my channel. I'm going to create content about things that I care about. And it doesn't have to be one particular topic. And I'm just going to experiment and see how it goes. And it's really been something that's purely out of passion. It's not for any other reason. Um, and I do want to go more into the direction of self-help and mental health and things that are going to help motivate people and help people. Um, I think that I just, I, I feel like, you know, I've, I've had great fulfillment from business, but now I want to fulfill myself from like a very um, personal perspective and like a higher, a higher meaning perspective. So that's, totally. that's the main behind my channel. But I think if, if Gary's any indication, um, I mean, you see in the comments, you see how much engagement he gets all uh, all over. It's not just yeah. one topic. I mean, he's just right. super broad and he talks about everything. Mm -hmm. He talks about life, personal development, this, yeah. that, the other. And I think you've got a lot to share and maybe don't worry about having to focus on one area or another. Just talk yeah. about what you know and what you are passionate about um, yeah. and, and it'll come. I mean, you'll, we're all figuring it out, right? Like I, I have yeah. the same problem. I go on Twitter and I'm like, okay. I don't really just want to tweet about e-commerce. I want to tweet about this, that, the other. Like, what am I going to right. focus on? But just Absolutely. Put it out there. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like I, I always tell people not to put themselves in a box. I'm like, just 
be yourself. If you feel good doing this, do that. If you feel good doing something else, do that too. And you don't need to confine yourself into some sort of um, box, but I was doing it to myself. So uh, I've decided not to do that anymore. And I'm like, you know what, just do whatever makes you feel good. And if totally. you feel like you're helping anyone at all, then it's totally worth it. Love it. Um, okay. So first question, Mona, John Rodriguez asks, what do you see in the VR retail commerce space? I'd love to have a discussion about this. Thank you, John. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think there's a lot of room to to grow in the VR retail commerce space. Um, you know, it's really challenging because I think with makeup, with color cosmetics, people do really want to feel and touch um, the product. Um, for me as a fragrance lover, I do think that there's so much that we can do. Maybe we can share kind of like what a fragrance smells like in terms of like a picture, you know, like if you smell a fragrance, you, you can, sm you can smell sunshine, almost like a solar effect. You can smell brightness, you can smell the beach. So you could just paint that picture almost. Um, but it is really challenging. I think we have to go and hone in on like the ASMR effect and kind of go full throttle. So like if you're sharing like an eyeshadow kind of show how the textures are going to look, let people hear it really loudly, let them feel like they're there with you, like swatching it live. Um, I think it depends on the industry. It's it's really hard. And if I'm honest, I don't think anyone's hit the nail on the head yet, especially in beauty. Totally. You're right. And I think that like over the last few years, I remember CES, maybe it was like two or three years ago, there were all of these mirrors um, that you could basically get for your home. Um, oh, and yeah. You could, yeah, you could basically see what it looks like, different types of lipstick, different kinds of eyeshadow, whatnot. Um, but not everybody has access to that. And then there are filters and whatnot. But I think that to your point, it's more than just what it looks like on you. It's that right. feeling that's missing mm -hmm. from like a VR perspective. Yeah. And to be super honest, like from everything that I've tried so far, I haven't found anything that actually reflects like true color or true texture. So I, sure. I think it's still very, very challenging. And I think that this is my personal opinion. Um, I think that people need to stop going hard onto VR and think about innovating samples. You know, I think let's go back to basics and think about how do you actually get samples to be more affordable, to get them into the hands of more customers. I think that that will probably have a better ROI in the beauty space anyway. I'm not talking about fashion or anything, but um, I think that we really need to go hard on giving customers a better experience with that. That's awesome. Um, just to go back to the previous question before this one, and then we'll get to Stacia's question. Um, it was, what marketing channels were the most effective for you? Or what channels online were the most effective to building your community when you first started? Um, I would definitely say Instagram really helped the brand explode. I think beforehand when we had our blog, when we had Facebook, it was great. We had a great community. But when Instagram took off, I think it was really huge, especially for the beauty community, because I think they also took over a huge part of Instagram. I think that like 20% of Instagram photos are makeup tutorials and hair tutorials and nails. Wow. So it's really something that exploded on Instagram. And um, yeah, I definitely would say that it was the platform that really helped us skyrocket our growth. So Seish asks, do you believe in scaling up tiny niches that can carve into the beauty industry? So like lip products for darker skin tones, et cetera. Um, I definitely think so. I mean, I'm all about niche brands, um, whether it be for color cosmetics or fragrance or skincare. I think that, you know, there's a lot of people who are still very underserved. And I think that it would be great to try and scale 
um, to serve those people in different parts of the world. I think it's hard to scale niche brands because, of course, it's not um, as profitable when you're niche. Um, but I think it's very meaningful. And I think the people who do end up buying your products and loving your products will be super loyal and they'll be your biggest advocates because they were so underserved. So I definitely think it's worth exploring and I, I think it should get the attention it deserves. Totally. Just one thing I want to add to that is the word scale is such an interesting concept because it really means something different to everybody. Um, somebody wants to scale something small and get it to a million in revenue a year. Somebody wants to get it to a hundred, a billion, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So I think that like to answer Sage's question, as you mentioned, like, yeah, definitely do it. And then I think it's important for people to understand what it is they're looking to achieve. Like what, what is yeah. your goal? And you can get to that point yeah. of scale and you can have a great lifestyle and you can have a great um, business because it's not just about that top line revenue. It's also right. the lifestyle you want to have. To your earlier point about mental health, like where do you want to be in your life? What makes you happy? And if it makes you happy to yeah. do that and you can live the lifestyle you want to lead, then yeah, that's the right amount of scale for you. Anyway, just my two cents. Um, I agree. And I think focus on the problem. Like if you're trying to serve, you know, that sort of skin type problem, like focus on finding all the people in the world that have that issue and solving it for them. And if you do that, you will naturally scale, you know? So I think just make sure it's purposeful and all, you know, the business will come. Entirely agree with you. Uh, So Gustavo Munoz Castro asks, how have you done differently due to the pandemic opportunities and challenges? Well, we definitely had to um, look at all of our launches that we had lined up for the year and we had to be a little bit more strategic. We had to scale back on some of the launches and prioritize um, kind of what we call our A launches and look at, you know, um, moving back to to next to 2021, our like C and D launches and even canceling them because, you know, we just have to make sure that whatever we do bet on, we bet big and we that really focused. Um, So that was definitely a big change for us. I think a huge part of it was also just working um, with our team and being able to stay in touch with them and make them feel appreciated, making them feel like they um, were in touch with us and we were all communicating well. I think we are very, um, you know, we're a very loving company and there's a lot of energy in the company. And as soon as you enter the office, everybody feels each other's presence. So to not have that, was definitely challenging initially, but we've just mastered communicating on platforms like Teams and also just reaching out to each other, calling each other more, and just, you know, making sure that we are still connected, even though we are virtually um, connecting right now. And just making sure that people understand the main vision of the company. I think that it was a great time to really tell the company and also our community what we're really about. So it was a time that we just kept you know, reinstating what is our vision? What is our mission? Why are we here? You know, even if there was no business today, why are we still going to stand here and keep going? You know, what do we want to do? And it really is to transform the industry. That's great. I think you you mentioned earlier in terms of the opportunity. I mean, one of them was just the fact that you were able to take your um, employees that perhaps were in retail and and bring them into the whole virtual consultation world. So there's so many opportunities to pivot like that. It's just a matter of having the opportunity and the time and the ability to do it and really just to think about to your point we see this so often recently where organizations that are doing incredibly well crushing it in retail like yours and and doing quite well online never really focused on that online channel as much as they are over the last three to four months Um, and I think that in of itself is a major opportunity 
Um, so Digital Ethan asks, what is your opinion of text message marketing? Do you think we will have numbers like emails nowadays? Um, multiple numbers? Um, yeah, I'm multiple not numbers, sure. Sorry. To be honest, I personally, on a personal level, I hate text message marketing. So I never even open them. I just delete them as soon as I see them. So I'm, I'm not really a fan. Um, I know it's very different in the U.S., but in Dubai, it's just uh, it's it's not something that I see very beneficial. I think that people kind of expect those kind of emails via email. And I think that when they come via text, people are not usually happy with it. So I feel like just go a route where a customer already expects it to come. Um, so they're not disappointed. You know, I agree I, with you. I, it's about, yeah, if you're going to, if you're going to come into their life in one of the most intimate ways, give them something meaningful. I think there are two examples yeah. of text message marketing. Um, that I appreciate. One is Gary's wine text. So you basically sign up for wine text and they send you wine offers and okay. they're, they're great deals, etc. And there's limited supply. So the, the mm. sense of urgency is there. Um, okay. That works well. And then the other thing is getting notifications on um, shipping or getting notifications on things that you've already purchased. So not like trying to upsell you or sell you, Right. rather just give you an update. I think those sorts yeah. of things make sense, but you're, to your point, yeah. otherwise it gets cheesy. I think if it's something you subscribe to, it's fine, but it's like when you get these spam marketing texts, I'm like, oh, that totally. just annoys me so badly. I'm like, I'm going to change my number. <laughs> so I prefer like an email versus like a text. Like a text for me is like something I expect my family, friends to contact me on, but when it's a company, I'm just kind of like, oh, I don't, I don't want to get that from you. <laughs> to totally with you. Um, Vishakh uh, Vinod asks, how do you handle bad reviews online on your channel page? Um, I honestly love seeing reviews, positive and negative. And when I get a negative review, I'm just like, let's dissect it. Let's see if it's authentic, authentic, if they have good feedback. I think feedback should be your best friend. And when people give you negative feedback, just appreciate it. And as long as they're not doing it just to be nasty, I mean, sometimes you can tell people are doing it just to be nasty. Um, you know, that's a different story. But when they're giving you feedback to improve your product, think of it as a blessing. You're lucky they're telling you because a lot of people don't tell you what they don't like. They just don't buy your product again. So I appreciate all feedback. That's awesome. Um, Billy Snacks asks, what advice do you have to do limited edition drops? I think limited edition drops are definitely um, powerful, especially if you tie up with the right brand or influencer. And it can be a great way to really move product and gain awareness and also gain other communities that you didn't have touch, uh, you know, um, in touch with before. So I think it's great, but I think you do have to be really careful when it comes to forecasting and also in terms of making things seasonal. You know, we've done things in the past where we made things like a summer product or a winter product. And we realized you kind of like box yourself into something where, you know, you're in trouble if you, you over forecasted. So I think be careful with seasonal products, but I think limited edition where it's a collab with a brand that you love, you share a similar ethos, but a very different um, community. It's great for you to grow your community. Yeah. And so I'm just going to lean in on that last point that you just mentioned. So I think that's really the big opportunity with limited edition drops, not just for your own community, but to do collabs with other brands, because then you're bringing their people into your world and your people into their world. Absolutely. Um, I think that's a great way to do it. Absolutely. Totally agree. So uh, Freitschi asks how mm -hmm. to do successful collaborations on that front. Great question. So I would definitely say again, somebody pick somebody to collaborate with, whether it was a brand, an influencer, celebrity, 
um, that is slightly different to you, but you have a similar ethos or values to them um, and create a product that, you know, is different from what you currently offer. I don't think you should offer a product that you already offer and just like repackage it. I've seen that happen before. And I think that it's usually not um, something that does very well. The performance is usually, usually quite poor and you're just relying on their audience um, to sell the product, which is not ideal. I think create something new, a new formula, a new shade, a new cut. If you're talking about fashion, whatever it is, um, create something new together. I think they take a lot longer to do um, when it's a new product, a new formula, but I think that's where you create magic, cult-worthy, um, limited edition collaborations that you're going to see a huge impact in. And you want it to be cult-worthy. I think create less collabs, but make sure that every single person wants to buy it and they're going to want to collect it. Even if they're not going to use it, they're going to want a piece of that, you know, magic that you created with that person um, to keep forever. I think do less, but do powerful collaborations. Yeah. And I think Mona, it's pretty clear that there's a common theme in, um, in a lot of what you're mentioning, which is like authenticity and being genuine. And, and again, you're spot on that it, it has to do with those collabs as well. And really figuring out, first you got to figure out who you are as a brand, who you are as an individual, et cetera. And then find yeah. out there's so many other brands that are going to have the same kind of goals, mission, meaning, purpose that you do. Um, and then you follow everything that Mona just mentioned in terms of doing something that's actually unique for the both of you and maybe finding that middle space that brings you together. Absolutely. So Kalia D'Amato asks, influencer marketing for service-based businesses. So is it impactful, basically, uh, I guess is the question. How effective can it be to leverage influencers to yeah. um, sell services? Um, I think it depends on the service-based business. So if I was a kind of like very small service business, like a local kind of salon or restaurant, I would rather go with a very micro-influencer to promote the product, somebody who I knew was based in the area and somebody who I knew would have um, maybe a more um, deep reach in that area. Because I think when you go with global influencers, you're of course going to have to pay a lot more for um, them to promote your service. And then the, the return is so limited because you only have a few locations. But I think that, you know, for a huge global, global uh, service industry brand, I think it's worth it. But for a small local brand, I think go to somebody who, you know, in the area who maybe has a smaller reach, but it's very, um, it's very saturated in your, in your area, your city or wherever you are. But I definitely think it's worth it for sure. That's awesome. Uh, Sean Thomas asks, what if you're not that great on the social media side, but really good on the business side? Um, I don't know if I fully understand the question. So like if, uh, if you as an, you're starting a company, you're really good on the business side. You're not that great on the social media side. What do you do? I think, um, you know, hopefully you can find people to work with you who are really good at it. You can always, um, watch people online. There's so many great people who are sharing advice, people like yourself, like Gary, who are sharing great content. And I think just learn from them. And I, I really am a big believer of just, um, we have a saying in Arabic, it's al-harakah fi barakah. It means that with movement, there's blessing. So I think just keep doing, you know, don't, don't overthink it too much. I think just put, keep putting things out there, learn from it, put things out there, learn from it. So don't doubt yourself too much and don't, don't stress yourself out too much. Just keep going and try things out and experiment. 
And I think that's the best way to learn. And that's the best way for you to become an expert, right? It's just about practice. So keep going. That's great. Um, Jishnu, a friend of the uh, uh, shows, asks, thoughts on subscription box model in the beauty space? Um, I think they're wonderful. Um, I think they're wonderful for brands as well, because truthfully, from a brand perspective, it's always a great way to um, to offload stock. Um, and it's also a great way to get your, your products in the hands of customers who probably wouldn't buy your product. I think a lot of subscription box customers just love their subscriptions and they're not as likely to go out and buy a huge bag from Sephora. Um, so it's a great way for them to Try your product, and if they love the product, they'll buy it again. And if they don't, um, it's okay because you're able to, you know, just get your hand, the product into the hands of new customers. That's awesome, Dustin. Let's get one more question from Mona. They're like Mona. There are hundreds of questions there. Everybody loves Aww, you. The, I love you guys. The chat in the comments <laughs> as well. So we'll have to have you back on um, just for a Q and A session. Um, so Rudy Elizabeth asks, I'm currently looking for influencers to help me out have not gotten far. Any tips in reaching out? Um, I'd love to know what kind of business she has. Um, but I would say just honestly go into their DMs. I think people are always a lot nicer than you'd expect. And start with the micro-influencers. You know, you can start with people like you'd be so surprised how much some people who only have a couple, you know, tens of thousands of followers, they can have a huge impact too. And just start growing slowly. You don't have to target people who have over a million followers or 5 million followers. Start with micro-influencers. They're usually a lot more grateful for you reaching out to, and they're going to give a lot more of their, um, their themselves to promoting your product. And I think just grow slowly. That's awesome. Mona, thank you so much for joining us. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank we'll have you. to it's do this again great. later. Thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, for your questions and your comments. You guys are awesome. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. See you next time. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Episode's over. Please leave a review and subscribe up on Apple. It would mean a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot to me. Thank you very much. Hey, podcast. Joe from Team Gary here. Today's highlighted review is The Value by eStaples15. Gary V has really helped push me to change my mindset and really face my fears head on. I'm in a much better place mentally and that was the biggest hurdle I've had. Thanks to eStaples15, keep those reviews coming. We could highlight yours next.